What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. We just started a new year and something that people commonly do when we start a new year is make New Year's resolutions. I'm sure some of you have done that. You know, you want to make some changes in your life as you come into 2020. And, you know, we're committing to this because we, we look back in the, you know, last year and we see things that we have failed to do. And now we want to, you know, kind of change that in the new year. And uh, for the past 10 years, the top three most common New Year's resolutions all have to do with physical health. So many people, they, they look back at the year they just finished and they realize, you know what, I haven't really been taking care of my physical health the way that I should. And so, so I'm going to make a resolution that coming into this next year, things are going to change. I'm going to you know, make that a priority. I'm going to do some more to help my physical health be better. And, and this is clearly seen in the top three most common New Year's resolutions. The number one most common one is to exercise and get in shape. You know, this is why gym membership rises greatly in January. And, you know, by the time it reaches February, most of those people aren't still going. But, you know, there's this desire of, hey, you know, what? I want to get in shape. I want to exercise. And so that's one of the top resolutions people make. Another one is to diet and lose weight. And, and another is to just eat healthier in general. You know, and all of those are good resolutions. It's good to say, you know what? I want to be physically healthier than I presently am. And, um, and I want to improve that. And so when you look back, at 2019 and you say, you know, here are all the things that I didn't do, you know, to kind of help myself physically uh, uh, be healthy. You know, it's good to make those changes. But you know what, there's there's much more significant and important changes that we should be focused on. And as Christians, I hope that we understand that our physical health isn't nearly as important as our spiritual health. And so as we come into a new year that we're not just looking at, and I'm not saying anything's our, our, our problem. I think exercising, dieting, doing those things are good. But if we do those and don't do anything to really help ourselves spiritually get more healthy and grow, then we've kind of missed the more important thing. First Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight says, but reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So here we're told, you know, bodily exercise, it profits little. It's not that it's saying it doesn't have a profit, but in comparison to godliness and spiritual health, you know, the profit isn't nearly as much. You know, when I was in Bible college, they had a little gym and, you know, I had, uh, you know, I cleaned dishes in the night. And so after that, I would go to the gym, you know, and me and a couple guys who would go, we kind of always said to each other, we're making our little profit tonight. And because, you know, the, the physical exercise, it does profit little, but notice it goes on to say, hey, there's something that profits for everything. You know, not just to be physically healthy, but godliness is profitable for all things. And notice that it's not just profitable in this life, but in the one to come. 
You know, and so there's much more value uh, to spiritual health than there is to physical health. And so as Christians, we shouldn't just have a uh, focus on, hey, I'm going to make New Year's resolutions to improve my physical health this year. I also want to make some resolutions to improve my spiritual health. And you can just run with the top three physical ones and kind of just focus to them spiritually. Hey, I want to exercise myself spiritually so that I can get into shape spiritually. You know, if you want to be a godly man or woman, you need to exercise, as Paul says, yourself towards godliness. And so as you study your Bible, you do that. As you pray, you do that. As you worship, you do that. You know, there are things that you do to help exercise yourself spiritually to help you get in spiritual shape. You know, another spiritual resolution we should have is diet from the flesh and diet from the sinful things of this world. You know, what we allow into our life is a huge part of our spiritual life. And so for many of us, we need to change our spiritual diet. We need to change what we're taking in because we're taking in a lot of junk, a lot of worldly things, a lot of sinful things, a lot of fleshly things. And we're not taking in things that are going to feed our spirit and help us spiritually grow. And so maybe we need to say, you know what, I need a spiritual diet change coming into the new year. And the greatest thing that we can consume or eat, so to speak, is the word of God. You know, maybe that's one of the big changes you need to make is say, I need to start consuming God's word on a daily basis and start putting things that I'm allowing into my life out of my life. So, you know, this is a great thing to do if you look back at 2019, and I'm sure all of us can, and say, you know what, there are areas of my spiritual life that I neglected or areas that I needed to improve on that I never did. And so in 2020, I want to see some changes. In 2020, I want to make some commitments to the Lord that, you know, I want to do some things to take my spiritual life more seriously. And this is something I personally do at the beginning of each year. Just, you know, make some commitments personally. Look at my life in the past year and see where are areas that I want to grow in, where are areas that I feel lacking in, that, you know, this new year, I want to make some commitments to grow and change in those things. And, you know, over the years, I've made resolutions like, you know, I want to study my Bible 30 minutes more a day. Or, you know what, I want to be a, a man who's praying an hour more a day. And I think if you're going to make a resolution, you got to be specific, not just, you know, I need to read the Bible. Well, yeah, that's general, and it's probably going to never lead to much. But, you know, get more specific of maybe for yourself, I'm not reading it much at all, so I'm just going to go for five minutes a day. If I can get a daily reading, you know, that's going to benefit me. But, um, you know, for me, many times, you know, I want to pick out some books that are spiritually enriching. I want to make sure I get through those uh, in the next coming year or, you know, doing things to become a more godly husband or father or you know what uh, even with my job now it's like hey I want to listen to you know a sermon a day as I'm working cleaning pools or you know just kind of making commitments of what can I do to help myself spiritually grow and these are great things I'm sure many of you have made these types of spiritual uh, resolutions at the beginning of years um, and I think they're, they're good things to do but something I've discovered when you know you're making these or really trying to fulfill these spiritual resolutions is it's kind of easy to lose sight of the balance of grace. I don't know about you, but you know I have a tendency as I'm you know getting focused on all the things that I'm now going to try to accomplish for God, do for God, grow in spiritually for the Lord. That you know I kind of start relating to Him more based on those things as opposed to his grace. You know, all right, Lord, I committed to, you know, reading my Bible an hour a day, or I've committed to praying this amount or, or doing that. And it's like, if I'm doing that and I'm successful in that, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, now God's happy with me. God loves me. You know, my relationship with him's good. And it's all kind of based on that performance. I'm doing well. And so I feel like God is happy with me. 
But then when I fail to do those things, fail to live up to those commitments that I said, you know, I didn't read my Bible today, or I haven't read it for the last week, or I haven't prayed for this long, or I haven't gone to church for a month, or, or whatever your resolution was that you failed to do, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, God's mad at me, and God doesn't love me as much. And, you know, when my relationship's based on my performance, you know, it has real side effects and problems that come our way. And, you know, the reality is, Every single one of us who makes a New Year's resolution, at some point in time in the year, we're most likely going to break it. I mean, I don't care what it is, whether it's you're exercising more or dieting from a physical standpoint or reading your Bible or praying or, or you know, doing more from a spiritual standpoint. There's going to come a day that you don't do what you've committed to do. You know, it's just a reality for all of us. And it's in those moments when we fail to meet the commitments that we've made that that's when it's like, all right, am I going to relate to God based on performance or am I going to relate to God based on grace? You know, and this is where I really want to focus on this morning. It's kind of this balance of grace because I do encourage you to move into 2020 with some commitment for spiritual change. I think that's healthy. I think it's good to really think through ways in which you can grow, but I want you to balance that with grace because I've seen in my own life as I tend to kind of pursue things that are spiritually healthy for me if I don't balance it with grace it becomes spiritually unhealthy because I get this kind of performance relationship mentality that's not good and so what I want to focus on this morning as we start 2020 is just an encouragement in this area of grace and so that hopefully as we move forward seeking to serve the Lord seeking to live for the Lord that we keep it balanced with an understanding of the grace-based relationship that we have with God that should never change you know no matter how much I'm doing or how much I'm not doing ultimately I should come back to the fact that my relationship with God my standing with God the love that he has for me is based off of his grace not my works not my performance and so that's really the, the encouragement that I want us to, to focus on. And then we're going to finish this looking at the greatest demonstration of God's grace at all. You know, the demonstration of his grace in which he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And we're going to take some time to remember that through communion. And so, you know, whenever you're kind of just looking more at a topic like grace or mercy or love or whatever, you know, one of the best things to do is just start by defining the words so that we all can be on the same page as to what it is that we're talking about. And so the Greek word translated grace means God unmerited, unearned, and undeserved goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. So when the Bible speaks about the grace of God, it's speaking about this unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness, love, and favor towards us. It's receiving from God that which we do not deserve, that which we cannot earn. That's what the Bible is speaking of when it speaks of grace. Frederick Buechner wrote this, Grace is something you can never get, but only can be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks. You know, grace is one of the most profound and deep truths that the Word of God reveals to us. 
You know, it's something that has really revolutionized my life. And, you know, it's one of those topics like love. You don't really have uh, time in one sermon to do it justice. And I'm not trying to, you know, give you everything that there is in the scriptures about grace. But I just want to give you kind of an overview of things that I hope will encourage you and challenge you in this coming year. And for many of you, I know this is going to be review. I know this is going to be information that you've heard before. But it's just one of those things that I think we need to be regularly reminded of because I think we have a tendency to switch to this more performance mentality with God, and we got to be reminded of the importance of our grace-based relationship with Him, especially as we come into a new year, hopefully with this zeal of, I want to live more for the way that I should and do more things for my spiritual health, that we kind of balance that with the grace-based relationship that we have with the Lord. And so, you know, I grew up in the church, and it's I really failed for many, many years to just understand grace, understand the impact that it had on my relationship with God. I was much more in a performance-based, works-based mentality in my relationship with God. And I've discovered one of the reasons that we fail to understand grace. I think it's one of the main ones. It's because we fail to understand just how desperate we need it. We fail to understand how horrible and helpless and sinful we were before Christ saved us and we accepted him. We, we, we often just have a, a view of ourselves that is just not biblical. It's not realistic. We think of ourselves more highly than we should, better than we should, and we really just fail to understand how much we need grace. You see, you can't understand grace, which is receiving from God that which you don't deserve, if you think you're deserving. If you think you deserve it, then you've completely missed it. You'll never fully grasp what it is because it's getting what you don't deserve. And if you feel like, oh, you know, Jesus dying for me, I deserve that. And God's love, I deserve that. And all these different things that God gives me, if you feel you're deserving, you'll never get grace. You can't understand grace, receiving from God that which I can't earn, if you think you can earn it. Oh, I can work my way to God's love. I can work my way to salvation. I can work my way to this or that. You know, I can do these things which will equate to God now responding in this certain way. If you feel you can earn it, once again, you'll never really understand it. Tim Keller wrote this. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. We come to God saying, look at all I've done, or maybe look at all I've suffered. God, however, just wants us to look to him. You know, I've struggled with this a lot in my life of coming to that place of, God, look at all I've done, and now you have to respond with love, and now you have to respond with giving me these things, and you know, our relationship has to be good, because look at what I've done for you, because my mentality was my performance ultimately dictates my relationship with God, and I missed the such an important truth of grace. I've thought, you know what, I can earn God's love. I can earn His approval. But the reality is, is that none of us could ever earn the love of God. We can't earn the approval of God. We don't deserve it, and there's nothing we could do to earn, <coughs> excuse me, earn it. And the reason we can't earn God's love, the reason we can't earn His approval is because of what the Bible says about us that so often people miss and ignore and don't want to accept. You know, Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, it just clearly tells us we are all a bunch of sinners. 
We have all fallen short of the glory of God, of God's standard for mankind. And you think, well, you know what? What is the standard of God? You know, I, maybe, I, maybe I live up to it. Maybe I can meet that standard. Oh, I'm a pretty good person. I can do a lot of good things. Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse, or 5, verse 48, it says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, God's standard is perfection. And guess what? None of us can meet it. No matter how good you do, no matter how much you do for God, you have already sinned, and so you will never meet the perfect standard of God. We all fall short of God's perfection. You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, gives us an even darker picture of what we were. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Yeah, this is where so many people, they don't want to accept this. Before accepting Christ, there is none righteous. He's the one who makes you that way. There is none good. No, not one. The average person that you talk to, well, why would God allow you to get to heaven? Their response is, well, I'm a good person. Well, that goes against what God's word says. No, there's no good people. You know, we might do some good things here and there, but the bottom line is we are wretched, sinful people. And that is what God's word reveals about us, that we do not meet the standard of God's perfection. And the point is, we're all sinners. We're all guilty before God. We all deserve God's wrath and judgment, not his love and approval. And this is so important to understand, because until you get this, until you realize you don't receive from God anything because you deserve it or have earned it, you're not going to get grace. God gives us things that we didn't earn, that we could never work for. And the greatest demonstration of all is Him giving His Son, Jesus Christ, for us on the cross to die for our sins. And the point that you and I must understand is, you know, there's nothing you could do to earn that. Oh, I deserve Jesus coming to here, paying the price for my sin. I mean, look at me. I'm such a, a good person. Look at all I've done for God. Look at all the ways that I've served Him. Look at all the things that I've given to Him. No, nothing that we could do could earn the death of Christ on our behalf. He willingly gave his life, not because we deserve it, not because he looked down and said, hey, look what they earned. Look at all the works they've done. I think I'll come and do it for that person and that person. No, he did it because he is gracious and he loves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 clearly portray this truth. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You and I have been saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what it's not of. It's not of ourselves, anything that we do. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast about, look what I've done to earn the grace to earn the salvation of God. No, we're saved because of God's grace through placing our faith in the work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. R.C. Sproul wrote this, Perhaps the most difficult task for us to perform is to rely on God's grace and God's grace alone for our salvation. It's difficult for our pride to rest on grace. You know, grace is for other people, for beggars. We don't want to live by a heavenly welfare system. We want to earn our own way and atone for our own sins. We like to think that we will go to heaven because we deserve to be there. That's where so many people are at. 
believing this reality that's not true of, hey, you know, I can earn it. I can get there. You know, I'll, I'll somehow in my own work earn salvation because they want to be able to add their works to God's grace. You know, many people won't just deny what Jesus did or deny, well, you know, yeah, God was gracious and he sent his son. And, but you know, that didn't totally save me. That, that, that's kind of the part of, you know, the equation, but I got to add my works for it to actually happen. So it's kind of God's grace plus, you know, the works that I add and, and that equals salvation. You know, something very important to understand is we got to understand the difference between grace and works. Because I talk with a lot of believers and they kind of want to connect both together and think that they, they both can work hand in hand, but they can't. Romans 11.6 says this, And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it's of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer work. You know, something we need to understand is that grace and works are exact opposites of each other. Grace is an act done for those who don't deserve anything, and works is an act done for those who have earned something. So if it's grace, it's not about what you do. If it's works, it's all about what you do. It can't be both. It's either one or the other. It's either about what you do or it's about nothing that you do. Uh, and this is something that we need to realize that we can't kind of combine them together. Either my salvation, my relationship with God, all the things that he gives me is, is based on a relationship of grace or there is no grace and it's all based on a relationship of works. You got to make a choice as to which one, you know, you're seeking to kind of relate to him through. Henry Ironside wrote this. Grace is the very opposite of merit. Grace is not only undeserved favor, but it's favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. You know, this is one of the wonderful things about grace. When we think of, oh, I'm trying to earn it. He's like, no, no, I am giving you the opposite of what you have earned. Please don't accept what you have earned. You know, the Bible says the wages, what we've earned, the wages of sin is death. That's what you have I have earned. You want to look at, hey, God, give me what I've earned, what I've worked for. Okay, well, then you're going to get death. That's the only thing that you deserve. That's the only thing that I deserve. You know, what we have earned through our sin is God's judgment. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to give you what you've earned, what you merit. I'm going to give you what you haven't earned. Salvation, my love, a relationship with me. Because the only thing that you have earned is my judgment and an eternity in hell. So we should be very grateful that we don't get from God what we have earned. Because what we have earned is not something that we would want. You and I were wretched sinners, helpless and hopeless, and God says, I will come to you. I will send my son. I will reach down and do all that is necessary, all the work in order to save you because I am gracious. So God's grace is the beginning part of the Christian life. It's what saves us. And for those of us here who have accepted him, I'm sure this is something that you're already confident in, something that you've already accepted, that you realize, you know what, there's nothing I can do to save myself. I have put my faith totally in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to save me. And so this isn't new news. I'm just starting with this premise to get to the second thing that I want to share as well, because sometimes we think it stops there. 
yeah, God's grace is an essential thing for salvation. And then that's it. That's really all his grace is good for saving me. Well, that's a wonderful thing that he did save us by his grace. But it doesn't stop at salvation. It's something that continues throughout our Christian life. Something that we must continue to stand in and relate to God based on throughout our Christian life. It's not just I come back to salvation and say, yes, it was all about grace, and now the rest of my life is all about my performance. It's all about my works. It's all about what I do for God. Don't make that jump because that's not what the Bible teaches. Grace is the start, and grace is something that we continue through to the remainder of our life here on this earth. You know, both Peter and Paul recognize this important truth of standing continually in the grace of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 1 Peter 5:12. But Savannah, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. You know, both of these verses reveal this important truth of God's grace is something that you and I need to stand in. Now, this Greek word translated stand means to make firm, to fix or establish, to keep yourself in something. And so what we're being challenged with is throughout our Christian life, we need to keep, we need to fix, we need to establish ourselves in the grace of God. Now, this is where oftentimes grace is abandoned. I know in my own personal life, and maybe you've experienced this as well, where it's like, you know what, yeah, for salvation, I fully get it. But when it comes to standing in grace through the rest of my Christian life, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to abandon grace, and I'm going to pick up works and performance, and I'm going to start living my life and my relationship with God based on those things, as opposed to based on the grace that God has given me. This is not a, a new concept, not a new concept to start with the understanding of, yeah, it's all about grace when it comes to salvation, and then to think, but I'll complete the work through my own works. Paul writing to the Galatian church, they struggled with this. They accepted salvation through grace alone, and then they started to abandon grace and because that was such a serious thing, Paul had some serious words for them. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, I marvel that you were turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul said, hey, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from this grace-based gospel message that you accepted, that you said, yes, it's all about Jesus and what he did. That's what saved me. God's grace. I put my faith in the work of Jesus, not in my own works. And they understood that. And he said, you've turned away from that to another gospel, which isn't really a gospel because gospel is good news. And you've taken the good news of grace and you made it bad news because now you're trying to relate to God based on your works. And you're going to soon find how bad that is for you because you'll never live up to the expectation that God has. So he's, man, what have you guys done? And then he has some strong words for them in the third chapter of Galatians. He says this, O foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Paul brings up something that's so important for us to understand as we think about this relationship of grace that we live out through our Christian life. There's something that the Galatian believers completely missed. The Galatian believers, once they accepted the gospel, they began in the Spirit. They realized the truth. It's all about God's grace that saved us. He started the work. We could never do it in our own works. We could never do it on our own. It was a complete work of the Spirit that started this relationship that we have with God. But they turned from that, and then they said, you know what? But we're going to perfect, continue this relationship through our works. We realize our our works couldn't start it. It was only a work of God's Spirit that could start it, but yet we're going to finish it. We're going to complete it. We're going to continue it through our own works. And so Paul asked them some good questions. He says, I just want to know one thing. How did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive the Spirit of God because of what you did by your works? Or do you receive the Spirit of God because of belief in what Jesus did for you? Well, the answer is, well, we received it because of a belief in the work of Jesus, not a belief in ourself, in our own works. So Paul is saying, if you can't even begin the work, what makes you think that you can perfect it? Are you that foolish? And this is the foolish thing that we kind of accept ourselves. I have no capacity to begin the work, but somehow I convince myself that I can actually complete it. How am I going to complete something I can't even start? I have no power in myself to start it. I have no power in myself to get it going, but yet I'm somehow going to muster up the power to complete it? Paul's saying, are you that foolish? And I think a message for us as well, not just to the Galatians, are we that foolish to believe that we can relate to God based on our own works? You know, this is something that often happens when you're successful and fulfilling these spiritual New Year's resolutions that you give. I know personally that's when I struggle with this the most. You know, when I'm failing, it's like, Lord, give me grace. But when I succeed, it's like, God, let me, let me relate to you based on my performance. Because it, it builds my pride. I feel good. Hey, I did this, Lord. I committed to this. And man, I've been doing this for months now. And I want to relate to you now based on my successes. You know, because we have that within us of like, you know, I want to earn. I want to be able to stand before God and say, look at what I've done for you, Lord. Look at how I've improved in this area. And look at how I've denied my flesh in that area, whatever it may be. And we get to this place sometimes where we kind of abandon grace and we start to get to that performance-based relationship with the Lord. And for a little bit, if you're successful, you kind of feel good about that. You're happy with it. But when it all falls apart is when you fail. When it all falls apart, and you will fail, and I will fail because we're all sinners, and that's when you kind of come to this place of now, if you've been relating to God based on performance and works for a good bit of time, it really devastates your relationship and your view of God because now you think, man, he hates me. He's so against me. He doesn't want any time with me. Because all you thought is, the only reason he does love me, the only reason he does want time with me, the only reason he does want to do anything for me is because I have performed for the last however amount of months or years in these areas, and now that I haven't performed like I should, 
your mindset is now God's view of you has changed. His love for you has changed. His desire to be with you has changed. And then typically our response is, well, I can't go spend any time with him. He doesn't want to be with me. You know, I can't pray. I, you know, he doesn't want to listen to me. I can't read the Bible. He doesn't want to share anything with me because look at all the things that I have failed in and look at all the sins that I've committed. And we get ourselves in this place where the enemy loves us. It's like, yeah, just neglect. Just don't spend time with him. He doesn't want you. He doesn't care about you. Look at how you failed. Instead of recognizing, you know what? My relationship isn't based on that. It's based on what Jesus has done for me, not what I do for him. God loves me no matter what because he loves me through his son. I've accepted Christ. That's where his love, that's where his grace, that's where our relationship is all found in that, not in my works and my efforts and my performance. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. It is grace at the beginning and grace at the end. So that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us, there is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not what we've been, not what we've done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian life starts with grace and must continue with grace. It ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And this is what we have to understand. It starts with grace. It continues with grace. It ends with grace. There's no point in time where it's like, okay, now grace is now substituted with works and performance and these other things. No, I always should be relating to God based on His grace to me. I don't deserve what He's blessed me with. I don't deserve to be His child. I don't deserve anything from God. I don't care how successful I've been in my Christian life or how many people I've ministered to. At the end of the day, the bottom line is still, I am undeserving and what God gives to me is because He is gracious and gives to a sinful man things that I do not deserve. And the challenge for us is when you and I sin, which we will, when you and I fail to fulfill those spiritual New Year's resolutions, which we will, we have a choice to make. We have a choice as to what am I going to stand in in this moment? What am I going to choose to fix myself and establish myself in when I have this time of sin and failure? You see, we can choose to stand in our guilt. We can choose to stand under the condemnation of the enemy. Or we can choose to make a choice to say, I'm going to stand in the grace of God, knowing that Jesus paid the price for this particular sin that's bringing me, you know, this guilt or condemnation, even though I don't deserve it. I'm going to stand knowing that if I confess my sin to Jesus, he's faithful to forgive me, even though I don't deserve it. He's faithful to cleanse me, even though I don't deserve it. To restore me, even though I don't deserve it. To continue to bless me, even though I don't deserve it. And you know what? To pick me up and to use me again, even though I don't deserve it. Standing in the grace of God is standing in those things that God gives us, even though I don't deserve them, I can't earn them. No matter how much I do in my life for God, there's never going to be a place where I say, oh, I finally deserve that. Thank you, Lord. No, it's always going to be based on God's grace. Forgiveness, restoration, unending resources, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, these are granted to us because He is gracious 
So when you and I sin, we got that choice. We need to make a choice to stand in God's grace. But you know what? There's another side. I have found when I fail, I, I want to stand in grace. And maybe you're in that way as well. It's like, yeah, uh, I realize that I can't earn it. It's so apparent now that I have failed. I succeeded for a while, but my failure has just made me clear, God, you're right. I need your grace. You're right. I can't do it in my works. And so I find it's easier to accept grace in my failure. But where it's hard to accept a grace-based relationship is in success. And so you know what? When you succeed, because you will hopefully succeed some, and I hope you succeed a lot in these resolutions that you're making. Lord, I'm going to read the Bible every day. I hope you succeed in that. You know, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes a day. I hope you succeed in that. You know, I'm going to be committed you know, to, to coming to church and, and using my gifts. I hope you succeed in that. You know, I'm going to give of my time and talents and treasures. You know, I hope you succeed in all these things. But the reality is, when you are successful in living the way that you should, you also have to make a choice as to what you're going to stand in. And I know there have been many times in my life, what I chose to stand in is my pride, not grace. Oh, Lord, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished for you. I mean, look at this. I made this commitment, and pretty much the whole year, I've been faithful to do it. I mean, look at how great I've done, Lord. Aren't you so proud of me? And it's just kind of, I'm choosing to stand in my pride, or maybe stand in my self-reliance, or stand in the lie that God has used me because I'm so great. Because that's a reality. God wants to use you. And he will use you to do great things, things that you know get to exceedingly be abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. And there's a time when that happens that you stand back and think, wow, I'm amazing. No, you're not. He is. But if you're standing in your pride and you're thinking how great you are, then all of a sudden when he uses you in a wonderful way, when he impacts someone's life through you, you can start taking that credit. You can start thinking more highly above yourself than you should instead of realizing, man, I don't deserve this. God, you are so amazing that you could use someone like me to do this thing, to impact this person. And you just come and you look to God and you recognize, wow, you are so gracious to do this through me. This is one of those areas as well. I've struggled more in this side, in the side of success, to stand in God's grace than I have in the side of failure to stand in God's grace. And we got to choose in both of those areas in this coming year when we succeed in these resolutions, when we fail in these resolutions, that both of them we say, you know what, regardless if I'm successful or if I fail, God, I still want to stand in your grace. I want our relationship to be based on grace, not my performance or lack thereof. I want it to be all about grace, grace, grace. Keep that balance as you pursue the Lord this year. Jerry Bridges wrote this, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. What a great encouragement. You know, no matter how bad you do, no matter how bad you screw up, no matter how bad your day is, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. He's always there to pull it out upon you. And you know what? Your best days, you're never beyond the need of it. No matter how good you're doing, you still are in need of the grace of God. Remember, your relationship with God isn't based on you. It isn't based on what you do for Him. It's completely based on Jesus. Your belief in the work that Jesus has done for you. You see, the greatest demonstration of God's grace towards us is that He sent His Son 
Jesus to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin. That He was willing to take the judgment that you deserve, the judgment that I deserve upon Himself. This is the greatest demonstration of grace. That we could go from being sinful people bound towards hell to go from children of God to live with Him forever in heaven. Why? Because Jesus paid the price on the cross to make that possible. And what a wonderful demonstration of God's grace. But you know what? That act, that demonstration on the cross, that's the foundation of our relationship with God. You know, as we look at, well, what is it that gives me that relationship? Jesus' death on the cross and my belief in that. Not what I do or don't do. I have a love from God because of what Jesus did. I have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. I have blessings from God because of what Jesus did. He continues to use me because of what Jesus did. That's where it all comes back to. That's the foundation of it, and we can't lose sight of that. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus says, you know what, I want you to take communion and do this in remembrance of me and my sacrifice because when you lose sight of what I've done for you, it just damages our relationship. It damages so much because, hey, how do I know when Satan says, you're not loved by God? Oh, yes, I am. The greatest demonstration of all was the cross. I know it comes back to that. I can come back and know the grace of God as I look to the cross. So I want to finish this morning doing what we do the first Sunday of every month, just taking some time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. But I want to encourage you as we remember that this week to really just think about you know, how that connects with a grace-based relationship with God. To know that you now have received God's grace in such a powerful way, but don't abandon that. Realize, hey, that stays with me for my entire life and my entire eternity. Because when I go to heaven, it's only because God's grace. And just to live in that, be encouraged by that, stand in that, especially each day as we move in to 2020. I want to share one final quote from John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. And I think he shares something that we can all relate to. He says this, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still... I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah, I'm sure that all of us, as we look back at 2019, we can start making the first few statements that John Newton made here. Hey, I'm not what I ought to be in 2019. I'm not what I wanted to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But you know what? Don't just stop there. That's where the enemy wants us to stop. Oh, look at you. You failed so much. But you know what? Here's the other thing. You're not what you used to be. You're not what you were before you accepted Christ. And that should bring encouragement to you of, hey, I know how God's changed my life. I know what I used to be. I know I haven't arrived yet. I know I'm not where I ultimately want to be, but I'm surely not where I used to be. And it's only because of God's grace that I am what I am today. Except for the grace of God, that's what I would be. We look at the world, we see what they're doing, we see how they're living. God's grace is the only reason there's a difference between me and them and you and them. Can I have the worship team come on up? As the worship team leads us in a song of worship, we're going to have the communion elements passed out. And you know, I just encourage you, hold on to those elements. Where I'm going to come up and we're going to pray, and we'll take those together. And this is just uh, this is an open communion, which means if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've put your trust in Him, we encourage you to partake of communion together with us. And if you've never made that decision to put your trust in the Lord, then this is not for you. You can just let those... Um, 
elements pass by. So let's just take a time just to come to the Lord and worship. And I would encourage you, if there's sin in your life that's unconfessed, before you come to a place of the remembrance of what Jesus did for your sin on the cross, confess it to him. Just between you and him, as we take this time to worship him, just come and deal with those issues that we might come to the communion table just uh, free from those things that we haven't confessed. So let's just take time to do that.